0: I, I'm, I'm I'm glad to be back and to be uh, sharing the word with you today. And um, it's quite a surreal, not surreal, but it's quite a um, a tough text to get through. I'll tell you why. Because I last spoke on this text about six years ago, and that was at my father's funeral in South Africa. It was a simplified version, but it still was um, something that I've always been on my mind, and I thought I really would like to share the truth from the scripture with you today. So with that in mind of six years ago, too, it's it's a, it's a bit uh, strange for me. And um, behind you, you know, w- w- the text that Gavin just read now talks, talks uh, about Christ on the cross with the two um, uh, criminals next to him. And I thought, and I, I see the sun is shining, so that's great. So behind me, there's a cross, as you can see. And so it, by way of illustration, if you just see, look at the cross behind me, when I speak about Christ on the cross, you can use that as an illustration reference. But on either side of the cross behind me, you'll notice that on this side, there's a, a window with a, a bit of a cross, you might notice, coming through, and I'm glad the sun's shining so you can see it. And picture that as the one criminal on the, the cross next to Christ. And the window behind me on the other side of me, next to the cross behind me, is also – I see the sun is shining there too. Isn't that strange, The sun shining on both sides, hey? Um <laughs> joke. But – But use that as a reference point, and as we go through the story and unpack the truths out of the story today, use that as a reference point. So um, what I'd like to do is just go through and go through the text before we go into it itself um, and look at them verse by verse, and then we'll look at some truths that we can take out of this and see how we can apply to our lives as believers. And for those listening in, we haven't come to know Christ yet, how they can apply too. So in verse, 22, verse 32 of our text in Luke, Luke 23, in verse 32, it says, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place called the Skull, you might have Golgotha in your, in your version, they, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right and one on his left, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, there's a significance about two criminals being on the side if you if you open your bibles if you haven't yet please do so in luke chapter 24 just one chapter over from our text and luke chapter 24 in verse 44 after jesus had died and rose again uh, he appeared to to the disciples as we know and he came to the disciples and uh, in verse 40 he showed them his hands and feet And in verse 42, they gave him a piece of fish. And so he ate, proven that he indeed did rise. And we know that too. And then verse 44 of Luke chapter 24, it says, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. In verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So he said, let me explain what happened to me. And then he points them to the law of Moses, to the prophets and to the Psalms and probably shows them all the scriptures of what was spoken of, or what had just happened. And he explains it to them and says their eyes were opened and then they understood all the prophecies that Christ had fulfilled. Now, while on that, if you uh, turn back in... Um, in in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53 we we speak about the two thieves next to each other and just to have a couple of verses about how this was fulfilled. In Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 12 it says therefore I will divide him a portion with many and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured, poured out his death he sold to death and was numbered with the transgressors. It says he was numbered with the transgressors. It's exactly what was fulfilled right there and then. He had a transgressor on his left and a transgressor on his right. And he was numbered as if he had sinned, just like they had. Yet he was without sin, but he was numbered with the transgressors. And then verse 34 of our text, Jesus' recorder's response is, is amazing. Instead of being angry, instead of being angry at them for what they have done, he acts with grace and he prays for them. He intercedes for them. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do is what he prays. He intercedes for them. And back in Isaiah, if you still got it open, carrying on in verse 12, it says, Yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So right there in Isaiah chapter fifty-three, Christ was right there and then fulfilling what was prophesied about Him. Then in verse thirty-five of our text, we see, start to see those who mocked and ridiculed Jesus. In verse thirty-five, it's read right read there, and the people stood by, watching them watching, and but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, "He saved others; let him save himself." If he is the Christ of God, he's chosen one. You know, Christ could have, we know. He could have called out the legions of angels, couldn't he? He could have just snapped his fingers and, or just, you know, just said the word. And angels could have come and could have rescued him. We know that he's true. And that would, for us, would be the way that he would show his power. Uh, but Christ takes a different approach. He endured the cross to complete the goal for which he came, which was to die for you and I. And that proved him to be Christ, but more about them about that a bit later. Beginning in verse 36, it says, the soldiers mocked him. In, uh, in, in the Gospel of, uh, of Matthew, we also see a similar account, but there it says that the Pharisees, the scribes, and the elders were also the ones doing the mocking. So not only them, but the soldiers as well were ridiculing and mocking Jesus. Back in, uh, if you still back in Isaiah, if you go to turn to Psalms in your Bible, Psalms chapter 22. Verse 6 to 7 says, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me, and they make mouths at me and wag their heads. He who trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Right there, one of the Messianic Psalms, speaking of, it's a Psalm of David, but actually it's, it's talking about what is to come. And this mocking that we see of the Pharisees and the scribes and the elders and the soldiers and the people there was all to, for Christ to fulfill the scriptures. So what he, what he was doing was exactly in God's plan. And then the soldiers also offered him wine uh, or vinegar. And if you, in Psalms, if you turn to Psalm 69 in your Bibles, in verse 21, it's written there, they gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. Again, a messianic psalm that Christ had fulfilled. So we see this as the basis. The two two thieves on either side of Jesus um, and we see the different responses. From verse 39, we see their responses. And so I'm gonna contrast these two criminals or the two thieves in six different ways. Firstly, we're gonna look at the two responses by way of perspective, how their contrasting perspectives was on the situation. We're gonna look at their admission. We're gonna look at their focus. We're gonna look at their reverence. We're gonna look at their faith and then we're gonna look at the destination of these two thieves. So let's look at the first one. Let's contrast the two by looking at the perspective. In verse 39, the thief on the one side, and we don't know which side they were at, but I'll just say the unbelieving thief was this side, and the thief that was believing was this side, just for illustration purposes. So use the crosses behind me as a reference, the two windows and the cross. The thief in verse 39, was focused only on his own circumstance. He says one of the criminals who were hanged railed him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. His perspective was on himself, on the circumstance, was the thing around him. While contrasting to the man on, the, on this side, his, his perspective was spiritual. He was focused on the spiritual side of things. He says, but the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? While well, the one was focused on the circumstance, get us off here, get us off this cross, Jesus. Use your power, get me off here. The other one was saying, have a, have a spiritual perspective. Look at the big picture here. Do you not fear God? You and I are on the same condemnation. But consider what Christ is, who he is, who he's talking to, who are we hanging next to. Spiritual perspective versus a present circumstance perspective. Next, the admission. We see no admission on this man on this side. No admission of guilt. No, no, no admission of saying, well, I'm a sinner and I'm getting my just reward. Whereas contrast in verse 41, we see the man on this side had an admission of guilt and of punishment. He says, and we j- indeed justly, For we are receiving the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing. We see a perfect picture of someone coming to Christ, and what is needed to come to faith is an admission of sin, an admission of guilt. The one doesn't have, and the one does. Then we see the focus. Again, the man on the left, his focus was on himself, trying to get off the cross and escape what is around him. That's all he was concerned about. Where in verse 41, again, the man on this side, we see that the focus was on Christ and his kingdom. Then there was reverence. The contrasting reverence. The man on this side clearly doubted Christ's deity. He didn't understand who he was hanging next to. Whereas the man on this side clearly understood. He says in verse 40 and verse 41, he reminds the other criminal to fear God. And then later on, knowing that Christ is the Son of God, he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom, Jesus. No doubt of deity, knowing and full belief of who Christ was and who he said he was. What about the faith? What, what is the contrasting faith between the two? There's no sign of faith of the man on this side. But on this side, he clearly knew that there was a kingdom and he believed Jesus to be the, 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 the son of man who he said he was. And so he had faith in Jesus. He knew that it was the Messiah that he was hanging next to. What about the destination? The man on, the, on this side of the cross most certainly would not have ended up in paradise after that day. But the man on this side Jesus answers with the most amazing words that I hope everyone here would ever would want to hear one day from Jesus. He says, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Two contrasting, that could not be even a more polar difference than the, the two together. Such a contrasting picture. You see today, friends, in, in, in our lives, we will have people just like Christ had in the crowd. People who are uh, mocking, mocking, you know, Pharisees and the scribes, church leaders, government, possibly friends, family, they will mock Jesus. And when they find out that you're a follower of Jesus, they will mock you too. They will ridicule you and they'll make jokes of you as well. Remember that we are the bride of Christ. Do you realize that? We are the bride of Christ. We are the church. And when Christ is ridiculed, he ridic- we are ridiculed as well. And just like the unbelieving thief Uh, Most people in this world will die with hardened, unbelief hearts. Such Such a pity. The Savior was so close. The Savior was probably a couple of meters from him on the cross, looking at the Savior, the one person who could save his soul. And without belief, he could only focus on what was happening right now, where the other man could clearly see it. See, the crowd did not act as if he was the bread of life. The crowd did not act that he was the way, that he was the truth, that he was the life. The crowd and the Pharisees and the scribes did not act act as if he was the Lamb of God coming to take away the sins of the world. They did not act as if he was the Son of God, the Good Shepherd. And in the light of the series that Garth just preached recently in Isaiah chapter 9, they did not believe him to be the wonderful counselor. They did not believe him to be the mighty God. They did not believe him to be the everlasting Father. And they most certainly did not believe him to be the prince of peace. Yet there he was, the man who the Bible talks about, lying lying on that cross. And the two men, one, total disbelief, would not come to know Christ. And the other one would come to know. So the question I had while studying this, and I'm sure you have this too, is why? Why the one man, total unbelief, not believing that Christ is the Messiah, both criminals, both in the same time, both living the same life in the same city, but the one not believing, while the other knowing Christ to be the Messiah. Why? The two difference? Well, to answer that, if you turn to Ephesians chapter two, now I've got some of the verses on there, but I'd like to go a bit deeper into the verses before. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter two. It's probably one of my favorite texts in Scripture, in Ephesians chapter 2. And um, we'll start at verse, uh, let's start at verse 4. It's an amazing text. It says, but God, two important words, but God, rich, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. Even while we were dead in our trespasses, spiritually dead, he made us alive in Christ. We go on. In verse five, by grace you have been saved. In verse six, and raised us up with him, and seated with us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing; it is the gift of God. There's the answer. It is the gift of God. Why did this man not believe? And why did this man believe? Were they special? Was this man from a different family and this man not? No, they were the same. They were both thieves, both in the same city. Why this man? Because of God's gift of grace. Grace is why this man believed and this man didn't have God's grace on him. I can't tell you why, but I can tell you how. And this is how, because God had grace. Why did God not choose this man? That's not for us to decide. If you today know Christ personally, it's because God chose you and had grace on your life and allowed you to understand the gospel of truth. You are a living miracle if you know Christ today. You should thank God for the grace that he has on your life and pray for those who do not have God's grace So, what can you and I do with this truth? Do we just sit around and stand around and, and say, Well, oh, well, if God has grace on me, I'm very thankful. But what about the other people in the world? Well, if God has grace, He has grace. If He doesn't, He doesn't. What's our response? Certainly, there is a response. We can tell people about the gospel, we can tell them the message. That's our response. We need to tell the world of the gospel and allow God to work once they hear the gospel. It is our responsibility to tell people about the gospel. We can also pray for people. I'm certain that you can not think very long until you know about people in your life, family or friends or colleagues who do not know Christ. The question is, how often do you pray for them? Would you just go on your merry way, including myself? Do we pray for them? Do we intercede like Jesus was interceding for the people when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's an example of what we should do too for for friends and family who don't know Christ. But I believe that this text shows us some, some lessons, and there's many more, but I've chosen seven lessons, and I'd like to go through that um, today. The first lesson that we can learn from this text, and it might sound strange, but allow me to unpack it for you, is we need to study and know the truth and have a study plan. You say, well, how do you, how do you get this out of it? How does this true lesson come out of this text? Well, I've mentioned before earlier that, uh, that um, you know, the, the scribes and Pharisees were there, right there. Um, if you look at Matthew chapter 27, you'll notice that the, the, the scribes, the, fa- the, the Pharisees, the scribes, the elders, and all the church leaders were there too. They were the ones that you would assume to know the scriptures, wouldn't you? You'd expect them to know the, the, the truths about um, you know, the, the, the prophets, the law of God, and, and the Psalms, you'd assume that they would be the ones. Because if they knew the scriptures, they would look right at the cross and go, you know what? This is exactly what Isaiah is talking about. This is exactly what Psalm 22 and 69 is talking about. Here it is. We can see it. And the fact that they took his garments and cast and cast lots for his garments, they would look at it and go, oh, wow, this is exactly what the, the, the prophets are talking about. And when the two people were next to him and he was next to the two transgressors, according to Psalm 22, this is exactly what the prophecies were talking about. They could see it, but they were ignorant of the scriptures. They did not know the truth. And that's a lesson because how often do we just need to turn up, open up the pages of scripture, open up the word of God and understand and study and learn about the Bible. So when we come into life, into the strife in life, we can understand, like, I know what is going on in here. This is a trial that I'm going through in my life. But you know what? I know that James chapter 1 says that the trials are there for my good. Expect the trials. And in fact, James says, consider them, what? Pure joy when trials come on you because they make you more mature. You see, if you know the scriptures and those trials come, you know that that is God's will. But if you don't know the scriptures... You just think, oh, woe is me. I don't know what's going on. Lord, what are you doing? Just like the Pharisees and the scribes and the elders in the church who saw that the prophecies come real right in front of their eyes. They refused to believe. So the lesson that I see is that they need to, you need to study and know the Scriptures. Interestingly, if they really knew the Scriptures, um, turn with me, in fact, in... In Matthew chapter 27, I shouldn't. Matthew has a different account and it says some extra words. In Matthew chapter 27, um, so also in verse 41 of Matthew chapter 27 it says so also the chief priests. You'd think that they would know the scriptures, and the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, "He saved others; he cannot save himself." He is the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. In other words, Jesus, if you come down from the cross now, we will believe that you are the Christ. But if they knew the scriptures, it's the exact opposite. He had to stay on the cross. He had to die and he had to rise. And that is going to prove that he is the Christ. If he got down from the cross, he would not be the Christ. Because he would not die for you and I, and he would not rise again. If they knew the scriptures, they would knew that Christ, please do not come off that. Please stay there and prove to be who you say you are. But in the ignorance, they say, Jesus, if you come down off that cross, then I will believe in you. Ignorance of scriptures, ignorance of truth. Friends, we need to know and study the scriptures. Salvation may be a one-off event, um, but sanctification is a lifelong event. So sanctification, becoming more like Christ. So once, once we are saved, sometimes things, people think, well, okay, I'm saved, tick, I'm saved, I've got my ticket to heaven, I can live my life. No, then there is a process that must happen. We have to be sanctified, become more like Christ and grow in Christ. But interesting... The criteria that I gave you earlier uh, of the way that this man came to faith, God had grace on his life. There was perspective of, his, not of his circumstance, but a spiritual perspective, admission, focus, reverence, faith, and the destination. That is the same criteria, friends, that we will need to use to grow in Christ. You see, grace saves us, but grace also is important for our growth. God has every day grace on your life to teach you things, to grow you, to refine you, to make you more like Christ every day. And I've mentioned this many times before, but when you wake up in the morning, God's one question on his mind, or, or the one purpose in his mind, is how will I make this person more like Christ today? What happens to you in your life today is gonna be all about making you more like Christ. So you need God's grace. You need a spiritual perspective to see that the circumstances happening around you are not, don't ask, don't ask Jesus to, to take you out of, the, out of the circumstance like the one thief did. Rather, ask yourself, Jesus, what are you trying to teach me through this? You see, we go through things in our life. We go through trials. We go through valleys. We know that. The, the, the worries of life, And friends and family and marriages and conflict at work and whatever we go through. And we're so quick to say, pray, Lord, take me out of this situation. Take me out of this circumstance, please. But we're missing the point. God has put us in that situation to teach us something. To refine us, to maybe break us down, to make us more like Christ. That is important for our sanctification. Admission, we constantly have to be working at our sin, dealing with our sin, repenting for our sin, not just when we come to faith in Christ. I ask you, when's the last time you sat down, looked at your life, reflected on your life, and said, Lord, woe is me. Please forgive me for what I've done and help me to understand how I cannot do this again. Constant admission every day of our lives. That's why we have communion every week, to reflect. A constant focus, um, a constant focus, on God and not on ourselves. Let me ask you, in your life, what is your focus? Is your focus on buying that next car, on getting that next home, on uh, buying that next caravan? Is your focus on on retiring well and, and successful in life in terms of monetary things? Or is your goal in life is who can I affect with the gospel? Whose life can I change? Who can I pray for? How can God use my gifts to extend the kingdom? Now, I'm not saying all those things are evil, not at all. Of course, we have to think about finances. Of course, we have to think about our lives. But what's the most thing that goes in your mind? What's the thing that, that, that clouds your mind most of the day? Is it those things or is it the things of God? What is your focus? Then there's reverence. Do you have a reverence for God? We just sang it. Worthy is the Lamb of God. Hey? Worthy is the Lamb do, do, we, do we live like his name is worthy, as yeah, God's worth? Do we live like that? Do we uphold Christ's name? We'll talk about that in a moment. What about faith? We need faith regularly. Not saving faith, but we need faith to believe in God. When you're going through a trial and you can see nothing, God, where are you? Where are you moving in my life? Have faith that God is in your life and he has you in the palm of his hands. You just need to trust in him remind yourself regularly of the destination. The third lesson that we can learn is that when God works in people, they turn 180 degrees. Not slightly. You know, your life doesn't change a little bit. Your life changes 180 degrees. You know. I believe that the Gospels do not contradict themselves. I believe that Scripture doesn't contradict. But many times when you read Scripture, you might see two different uh, angles, if you like, at the same story especially in the gospels we see the same uh, sa- the same parables being mentioned in other gospels but they're slightly different because they have different uh, different people they were being written to different people were the, the different apostles that wrote it but they all marry up together to be um, to 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 work together and be married up together and this is important because i think we we often miss an important lesson here Turn with me to Matthew chapter 27, if you aren't still there now. Um, Matthew chapter 27, in verse 39, it talks about uh, the, the, scribes, um, the scribes and the Pharisees saying, come down from the cross. And then at the end of the, in Matthew's account, in, in verse 44, it says, and the robbers, plural, and the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Hang on. Both robbers reviled Jesus in the same way. Both robbers. Turn to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, also an account. This is Mark's account of that same event. Mark Mark chapter 15, verse 32 says, He saved others he cannot save himself. Verse 32 Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross now so we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. So what is true? Is Matthew true? Matthew and Mark true when they say that both robbers reviled him? Or is Luke true that says the one defended Christ and said, do you not fear God? And the other one reviled him, which is true. The answer is they're both true. Let me explain. According to Mark, uh, Jesus was placed on the cross around the third hour. And that's those times when the sun rose, that was the first hour. And so just after nine o'clock, they were on the cross. And according to Mark, uh, Jesus died on the ninth hour. That was after about 3 p.m. So six hours had changed. Six hours had passed while on the cross. We only see a glimpse of it. So the way I see it is, in the beginning... When they were on the cross, I do believe that both criminals were reviling Christ. And I also believe that Luke is telling the truth when he says that the one thief defended Christ and said, I do believe. And Jesus, remember me when you come into the kingdom. So what happened? I'll tell you what happened. The people they were watching witnessed that man come to saving faith while on the cross. His heart was darkened. His eyes were not opened while on that cross. And perhaps the time that he was on that cross, he thought about it. He looked at this man on the side of him. And he realized, and God's grace was upon his life at that moment. And he realized that this is indeed the Messiah. This is the Christ. This is the man who has come to save. This is the Lamb of God. This is the way, the truth, and the life. This is the Messiah. This is the everlasting Father. This is the Prince of Peace. He then realized, and God changed his heart. But you see, when God changes your heart, you turn 180 degrees, and we get the perfect picture of this man. Once reviling Christ, and some hours, just hours later, saying to the other man, do you not fear God? Do you not fear God? We have got what we deserve. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then Jesus, right there, we see the miracle happen right in front of their eyes. You will be with me in paradise. Isn't that amazing to witness that? Another lesson that we learn, the fourth lesson is that the best that this world offers you is eternally worthless compared to knowing Christ. As an extension of the previous point, Perhaps the thief realized, while on their cross, realized, if someone gave me a million dollars right now, it would be utterly, utterly useless right now. Maybe he pondered of all the, because he was a thief, so he must have stolen a lot of money, a lot of possessions, and he must have thought, of all the things I stole, they are worthless to me now. Even the gems that I might have stolen and the gold that I might have stolen are utterly worthless while on the cross right now. All that matters to me right now is what happens to me when I die. I know on the cross you have that, excuse me if I say it this way, the luxury of knowing that your death is coming near. And we might not know when when we're going to die, but it could be soon. But I've never met anyone who's told me about a loved one who's died before and has told me that no one's ever said, you know what, I wish I had another million dollars. No one has ever said that to me. They all said the same thing. My uncle or aunt or whoever it is said to me, I wish I'd spent more time X, Y, and Z. I wish I'd done this. I wish I'd followed Christ more X, Y, Z. You may know Josh McDowell. Josh McDowell is the founder of Focus on the Family. And he had a heart attack some years ago and almost died. And they asked him about his experience of this heart attack, and he said, you know what, on on that bed, in the hospital bed, all the things I'd achieved in the ministry, in my life, in my family, meant nothing. The only two things that mattered to me was who loved me and who I loved. That's all that mattered to me at that point. I ask you now as a lesson, and and I ask myself that too, is we only have one life to live. Are you investing your, not so much money, but are you investing your time and your resources and your energy and your thoughts? Are you investing it into the things that are eternal or are you investing it into the things that are going to remain here when you die one day? Because one day when you die, those things will be useless to you. Philippians chapter 3. Paul writes in the Philippians and the Young, the, the, said the young adults, the men, not the young adults, the men studied this recently. Philippians chapter 3 from verse 4 says, though I myself have, no re- have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And Paul rambles on. Circumcision on the eighth day of the people of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin, which was a great lineage, uh, the Hebrew of Hebrews of the law, a Pharisee as, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteous under the law, blameless. But whatever I gain, I count it as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He says, everything I've achieved, all the knowledge I have is useless if I don't know Christ. If you do not know Christ this morning, Whatever you've accumulated in this world is utterly useless in eternity. Lesson number five that we see is God's power is often unseen. We've read it before, but the people around said, show us your power, get off the cross. But we also saw that it's God's power that kept him on the cross. Because had he got off that cross, you and I would not have any hope in salvation. But God's power was, was being seen as in, in the midst of their eyes. While everyone thought that the power was not seen. In fact, I just mentioned now as well, we just saw God's power in saving faith. And this man on this side coming to know Christ and, and having eternity sorted out for him. Because Christ said, "Oh, you'll will, you, you will, you will see me in heaven one day. So Christ's power was seen, but we looked at that man on the cross, defeated, ridiculed, mocked, sweating, blood, about to die, nails in his hands, nails in his feet, and yet his power was perfected in that death. Lesson number six is we need to defend the name of Christ. We watched the criminal on this side say, do you not fear God? We get just a reward for what we've done, but this man had done nothing. On our social media, do you see God's name being upheld? Do you like it? Do you share it? Do you laugh so it's not awkward? Or do you say, sorry, I take offense to that? I have a rule on Facebook, is that as soon as someone... Defends friends or, or whatever friend circles. As soon as they say something derogatory about Christ, they're no longer friends anymore. I just do not accept it. How do we defend uh, Christ? Well, we defend Christ when we refrain from sinful lifestyles. We defend Christ when we refuse to compromise godly living, even when people are mocking us. We, we, we defend the name of Christ when others mock him and we don't remain quiet. The last lesson, which is an important lesson, is this man knew his death was coming soon. But you and I, or or people who you might know who do not know Christ, might not have time to repent. Time isn't guaranteed. It's a gift. We mustn't use the thief as an excuse to delay deciding for Christ. We don't know what this history of this man was. We don't know where he came from or if he had heard Christ speak before. There's no evidence he would met Christ before. It could be his first time that he heard the gospel. I remember being in a conference many years ago and the man said, um, when you share the gospel, be, be, be sure to use jargon that people will understand because this might be the first time that they hear the gospel. But another guy said, yes. But this, be also even more careful Because sometimes when you share the gospel, it will be the last time that this person might hear the gospel. And for those listening in today, and maybe some are here today, if you've never come to know Christ personally, this might be the last time you hear the truth and the gospel being preached to you. Do not wait. Ask God to change your heart. To understand that, that eternity could be right behind the next door. Please do not wait. Do not wait for the, I'll do it next year. So, friends, this morning we see two responses uh, to the cross. We see this one here living for himself. We see a person who has focused on escaping death and the circumstance around him. There was no remorse, no repentance, no reverence to Jesus for being the son of God. He was living for himself. And the man on this side believed that Jesus was who he claimed to be, at least eventually. The Christ, the Son of God. His light was switched on, if you like. He was quick to admit his sin. He was quick to ask Jesus to save his soul. And his admission of his sin and faith in Christ is what saved him. He had the grace of God on him. and He is now living for God. If, if that man had got off that cross, do you think he would have carried on being a thief? No, he would have radically been changed because he's now living for God. A question to you now to the, to, today is also... Are you living for God this year? I'm not a huge fan of, of New Year's resolutions. But since this is the, you know, the beginning of the year, I would ask you to do two things. Look back to last year and ask yourself, has my life changed in the last year? Am I more like Christ a year ago than today? Today. What's the comparison a year, a year ago than today? Have I grown? Have I changed? Have I become more Christ-like? And if not, what are you going to do in the, this coming year in 2023? What are you going to do to put things place in your life so that you will grow in Christ, you will deal with sin, and you will live for Christ? What gifts are you going to use for Christ this year? And how are you going to glorify God? So I pray that um, that, that, that this reflection on this text will will change the way you view this year. And I really pray that this next time you see this text of this man, these two men standing next to Jesus on either side, and you'll ask yourself, which one am I? Am I the believing man who has faith in Christ and who lives for God, or am I a guy who doesn't want to know God? Which man are you? Which person represents you? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this text and these truths that we learned from Luke 23. Lord, I do pray that the people here this morning and listening in today, Lord, I do pray that if anyone here that has not come to know you personally would ask you to change their heart right now. Lord, that they would have faith in you and that faith would turn into repentance and they would come to know you. Lord, that you would have a place for them in heaven and they would live for you from today onwards. And that for those of us here who know you and have come to know you in the past, Lord, I pray that we'll be exhorted to live for you, to have faith in you, to change our lives and make 2023 a year that will give you glory and honor, that our lives will be used for your glory. I Thank you for this text. And I thank you for your truths in Jesus' name. Amen.